you, uh, if you, if you recall, this is the first, we think the earliest book written. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, a leader um, in the church, early church in Jerusalem, that first generation. And um, it's a book that emphasizes obedience. It does. It does. It emphasizes what does it look like to follow Christ? What is a Christian supposed to look like, walk like, talk like, act like? Um, not to the end of, um, you know, works righteousness. That's really what this passage is about. It's not, we're going to get some clarity there. But it really does talk about what, what is it supposed to look like. And, and if you look at um, verses one, chapter 1, 26 through 27, we do get kind of a grid for the rest of this, this book. It's talking about um, having, how we're to have a caring ministry. How we're to have a, a cautious tongue, a cautious speech, and to be undefiled from the world. Um, and, and, and that's really the, the grid, the outline for the rest of the letter. And so he starts with having a caring ministry. And last week, or the last two weeks, Rick took, looked at um, chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 13, that got at this easy sin... It, we don't have to try to do it, but the sin of partiality. And, and um, how we choose to be with people that are like us, are, are you know, easy to be around, uh, or can do something for us. And he looked to talk about the law and how this, this is not just something God imposes on us. Like, here are the rules, this is how you should live. It's the very character of God. So when we say, don't show partiality, follow this law, it's not God just, hey, here's some random rules for life. But this is who I am. And we know that is true because when he took on flesh, this is exactly what Jesus was like. And so we have this royal law, this law of liberty. How are we supposed to live life to the fullest, live the life that's truly life? We can't do that on our own. We do it in the power of Christ, but this transforming love of Christ, trans, it transforms us. And we're called to live and love in the way of Christ. And so that's this emphasis, this, this, this uh, second chapter is, how do we have a caring ministry? How do we treat one another in the church and outside the church? With that said, let's, let's pray and then read. Gracious God, we thank you for your, your word. We thank you for um, telling us who you are, revealing yourself to us. There's no other way we could really know you apart from this uh, inspired, holy, inerrant word of God. We thank you that we have it, Lord. Um, by your spirit, work this, these truths into our heart. Give me um, the ability to, to explain and rightly divine this, this, your truth, and help us to have ears to hear, and that we would hear, and in hearing we would do. We would desire to be conformed to your image, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, do that in us, through us, uh, in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, James chapter 2, beginning with verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, 
Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, there are three things I want us to see, take note of in this passage. First of all, this is not a passage that is faith versus works, but whether your faith is alive. That's the question. It's not faith versus works, it's but whether asking whether your faith is alive. Second, we'll, we're going to see in verses 14 through 20, an autopsy of a dead faith. And then thirdly, we'll look at the vitals of a living faith. So the question is, is your faith alive? We'll look at what dead faith looks like and then also the vitals of a living faith. First, the question I ask you is, is faith in Christ enough to save you? If you've read this and you're like, I thought I knew. <laughs> I thought I had that very clear, but you just said it said some things that I, I don't know. Faith without works is dead. Look at verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Let me just answer the question if you're in suspense. Is faith in Christ enough to save you? The answer is yes. Yes. Of course it is. That's big big here at this church that we believe that justification is by grace through faith in Christ. And all that is, and that we cannot save ourselves. Let me read some other passages. Let hear, hear from Paul. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 5, 1. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of of the glory of God. So we have that and many other passages that speak to salvation being by grace through faith in Christ and there seems to be a contradiction here. But can there be a contradiction in the word of God which is holy, inspired and inerrant? Does is God 
wishy-washy? Does God change his mind? Does God lead one man to say one thing and another man to say something else? No. There is no falsehood in God. There's no falsehood in the Scripture. But it's okay if you're struggling here. If, and there's been a lot of struggles. People that struggle with this. I remember the first really big theological debate I had with someone was my first college roommate. And he went to Church of Christ and I went to a PCA church. And I was, I was in that kind of caged Calvinist stage, you know, where I probably was going to do more harm than good, you know. I was really big on theology. And, you know, I wasn't trying to get... But we had a yelling match about justification. You know, we also yelled about who's going to do the dishes and things like that. But we yelled about how you're saved. And I was like, no, it's not. He kept quoting this passage. And I kept quoting Paul. And he just said, well, you you know, you just think I'm going to hell, don't you? And I said, no, you do. Because you think you have to do everything right. And then he stormed off. And I realized there's got to be a better way (laughs) to have these conversations. You know, Martin Luther really struggled with James. You know, Luther grew up just oppressed by legalism and trying to meet the, hit the mark and do for God. And he was, felt the law was just so oppressive. And he just struggled whether or not the book of James should even be in the canon. Like, he, 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 he really struggled. So if you're struggling with this, you're not alone. My roommate and Martin Luther, same well, not really. Anyway, but it's a common struggle. And... So how do we make sense of this? What, what do we do? How, do? how does this come together where there's not a contradiction? Um, there's a seeming contradiction because I think we've misunderstood the question that's being answered. The question is not what needs to be added to faith in order to be saved, but what is genuine, true faith? That's the question. That's what James is getting at. Not that you need to add something to your faith, that your faith isn't enough, but... What is genuine, true faith? And, and to help us see that, we've got to recognize that there's more than one way to use this word justified. When Paul uses this word justified, we translate justified, or de- we mean declared righteous. He's using it as a legal term. That God is judged when He looks at you when we trust in Jesus. He says, you are declared, you are Declare not guilty, that the, the righteousness of Christ is credited to you through faith, and your sins are imputed to Jesus. He's paid for that, and you are now righteous, not guilty before God. There's a, and that's really not the way we normally use the word justified. How do we normally use the word justified? You know? Grant, why did you get a second helping of... Ice cream. Well, I had a hard day, so I felt justified in that. What do you mean? Like, what, what does that mean? I mean, it felt like it, I was. It was. It was due to me. It felt like it was valid. It felt like it was a substantiated, proven thing. Like, I, I was. I was justified in that. You know, um, that's what we. That's how we normally use it. That something is is proven, substantiated, tested, validated. You know. He, he justified his response to me. They, you know, that was, that was a justified action that they took. Um, well, that's how we normally use it. And that's how James is using it. That it's not that it's a faith that, that works save you, but works substantiate, prove, show that this faith in Christ is valid. 
James is reminding you and me of the therefore of the gospel. You know, um, I, my campus minister, growing, you know, he was teaching us how to do Bible study. He said, always, always be mindful of what the therefore is there for. You ever heard that? What's the therefore therefore? Um, and in every, most of Paul's letters, you think Paul talks about theology and salvation and, and grace and faith, but there's always a therefore. In Romans, it's in Romans chapter 12, and you know, it's in midway through Ephesians. It's, it's every, it's what, therefore, so when we have the indicative of who Jesus is and what God has done, the things we can't do, die for our sins, be raised again to new life, and credit those, that, that righteousness to us, we can't do that. He does that. But then he says, therefore, what? Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, after stating the gospel, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. There's a different way of living. Colossians 2.6-7 Therefore... As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. With true faith in Christ comes a natural desire, or a Holy Spirit, an inevitable desire, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live like Christ. Being a Christian... And not being holy, not doing good works, is like being Superman and never flying, never racing a locomotive, and never taking a bullet just because you can. It really is. It, it's, you, are, you now have the ability in Christ to do and live for Christ. And Paul's saying, if there's no change, if there's no evidence of this new life through faith do you really believe is it really a genuine true faith that's his point it's not about faith versus works but it's asking whether or not the, your faith is alive is checking the vitals. So let's look at, he, he, in verses 14 through 20, point two, we're going to see an autopsy of a dead faith. Look at verse, we'll look at verse 16. He gives you an example. He goes, if you want to say they're, that they're opposed or you can have one or the other, he gives an example. What if someone who's poor, poorly clothed, lacking in food, who's a poor person, and you see that and all you say to them is, go in peace, be warmed and filled. If all you say is, bless their heart. <laughs> if all you say is, may the Lord be with you. If all you say is, I'm sure this is God's providence and sovereign plan for your life. Don't you trust Him? You know, if you just give theology, that's what He's saying. Go in peace. God is a God of peace. He's with you. But you don't actually help. You don't actually step in. You don't actually use what God's given you to bless another. He's saying, what, what good is that? And that that is the faith. What, good, what, what have you done? Have you served? How is the Lord glorified? What good is that? It's not just saying the right thing. That's not what faith is. 
true faith. It's not saying the right things to people, saying the right things about God, saying the right things to others. It's more than that. Um, you know, we've got to recognize that, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings won't keep out the cold for this poor person. You know? It is wonderful to hear God loves you and has a plan for your life, but also it's wonderful to see and, and feel warm and fed knowing that there are people who believe that too that want to take care of you and meet you in your need. Because why? God meets us in our need. It's not just saying the right thing. Um, I went to seminary. I, I packed three years of seminary into five because I'm, I'm an overachiever. And... I know a lot of right things. That's it. That's all I want to say. No, but <laughs> I know I know right things, but where I've had to grow, and I think where we all grow is how do I exp- not just say them, but live it out. Like how do, where does where does the rubber meet the road? And that's the growing in grace and truth. That's the sanctification. And if you're here and you go, man, I, when you, if you think about sanctification just, and, it, and this is part of it, knowing the scripture better, knowing, knowing the address of your favorite verses and, and, and knowing the theology and being able to state and give me the ordo salutis of the order of salvation. Tim Smith, go. Never mind. Okay, if you had that, all elders have to know that. No, they don't. Anyway, they should. But, okay. But if, you, if that's it, that's a good thing. But if that's all you think about is intellectually when you think about sanctification, James is saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's not just your knowledge. It's not just what you can say. It's not just knowing. That's the next thing. It's not just saying the right things. It's not, it's just, it's not just about knowing the right things. What does he say? It's pretty profound. Look at verse 19. Who else has good theology? Who knows true things? Demons. They know truth. Did you know that? You know, one of my favorite... You know, pictures of Jesus and His earthly ministry, His strength, His power, is when He comes up on the shore and there's the, the man with... Legion, who's in, who's possessed by a thousand, two thousand, you know, th- you know, demons all in one person, and he's charging at Jesus, and he's speaking, and then finally he just, "Have mercy on us, Son of God." So the demons were aware of something that no other people, not even really the disciples at that point, really understood that this is Yahweh in the flesh. And they, they said it and they shuddered. I mean, he's remembering something that, that he heard about. James heard about this event, I'm sure. And yeah, that, that, that when he speaks as a, an elder in the church and as he's seen apostles speak the name of Jesus, the, the demons leave and they, shut, but they know who he is. Are demons saved? No. Do they... What's the difference? It's... Knowledge is not... It's, it's, it's not just a knowing. It's, there's a difference between knowledge and faith. Knowing and believing. And real faith is trusting and loving the object of your faith. The demons know 
who Jesus is, but He's the enemy. There's no trust. There's no, there's no love. They're trying to overthrow His kingdom. But they know He's the king. So just acknowledging who the king is, just acknowledging that there is a God, just knowing what the Scripture says, just saying the right things at the right times is not enough. That's actually a dead faith, according to James. But what is a living faith? That's really where we want to go. What, what are the vitals of a living faith? Well, he gives examples. And sometimes when you go to Scripture and you go, you know, be like Abraham, be like David, be like, you know, you immediately just go, well, I can't do that. <laughs> and maybe you read, read this before, like, how can I be like these Old Testament heroes? These are flawed people. <laughs> They didn't get everything right. And that's not the point. Be like these perfect people. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying these people were good enough. But when they trusted in Yahweh, when they believed, when they said, I'm going to not just, I know you're God, not just I know the right things to say about you, but I'm going to rest my life in you. I'm going to... I'm going to submit myself and what is most precious to me to you. That showed that they really believed it. And that's what, that's what they do. Abraham is willing to what? Lay down the life of this son that he's longed for for decades and decades. He's the promised son, Isaac. He goes, I want you to sacrifice your son. And, and we're told later in Hebrews that he believed so much that, that God was true and faithful that he believed God could raise his son from the dead. And he was willing to go through that. He trusted, knew that God was reliable. After years and years of years of struggling with that, by the way, I'm going to give you a son. <laughs> Sarah laughs about it. <laughs> There's no way. Abraham says, yeah, you will. but then he, you know, he tries different ways, takes another wife, all kind of different, you know, ways of bringing about God's promise on his own terms. And finally God provides when he had given up. And now, after years of failure and years of sanctification, he's like, I, I, can, I can step out, I can trust and trust my whole future, my only son, the promised son to God, and he will still be faithful. Rahab. Well, we don't struggle with making Rahab a hero, do we? <laughs> she was a Canaanite, Jericho, prostitute. But you know what she did? She was willing to go against the authorities of Jericho, the king of Jericho, risk death, and also trust that this Yahweh, this God of Israel, had a category of mercy for people like her. I'm all in. My, my life and my family's life, you're the true God, Yahweh. I'm all in. And, he, and, she, and, she, lived, she, and she, gave, she was willing to risk she, entrusting her life and the life of her family to the true God. There was action involved. They were willing to give up 
and entrust to God what was most important and most precious, to lay down their life for Him so that they may have true life in Him. This shows us that they were willing to give up, but also realize that Rahab, her actions were other-centered. It was unto the Lord, but she was protecting these spies that she counted not just obedience to God more than you know, important than obedience to the king of Jericho, but she counted their life more important than hers. And she risked it and she gave and she showed hospitality and protection to take care of God's, uh, these other people, God's people. So it's, it's trusting God with what's, what's most important. That's what a vital faith is. But also giving sacrificially to people in need. And again, what do we see? We go back to the first part of the chapter 2. It's about what happens when a rich person comes to the room versus a poor person. How do you respond? We go back to chapter 1. He says, Religion that is pure and undefiled is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So it's, it's the lowly, it's, it's, the, it's the least of these. He says, that, that's a measure of, do you trust me? Are you willing to give and to help those in need? James, and again, it's mentioned in particular, the poor and the widow and the orphan. Why do we struggle? Why do I struggle even knowing the truth and believing in Christ, why, do, why is it hard for us to, to step into those situations or to even see those people? I think some of it is we, it's just overwhelming, isn't it? It's overwhelming. In our day and age and social media and knowing all the things going on in the world all at one time, it is overwhelming. And when you think... God calls us to do something about poverty and, we'll, and I think we talk, what we automatically do is, well, how are we going to solve poverty? Who, who can solve poverty? Raise your hand. Anybody got any ideas? Just the whole thing? That's not what He's calling us to. He's calling us to do what? Care for the people that God brings into our path, into our lives. Those without... And you have, give. The widow, the single mom, taking care of kids. We look at that and go, I don't know how to fix that. I don't know what to do about that. Well, how can you help? How can you help? How can you as a man be an example to a a child without a father? How can you, women, be a, a mother to someone without a mother? Help those children. Help that woman. By God's grace, we're moving. I, I, it's, it's amazing. Like Never in my lifetime, I, I really kind of stopped thinking it would happen. And I, I'm ashamed to say that, but praying that, that it would no longer be legal to abort children. And, and it, it could be in some states. It could be no longer legal to do that. But what's going to be the result? A lot more orphans. A lot more. Lord willing, right? We're praying for that. 
what opportunities there will be for the church, for us, for me. It's important. It's too much to do, though, we feel like. What can I do? Am I enough? It's too much to bear. I, can't even, I don't even want to watch the news. I don't want to think about it. But here's the good news. Only Jesus can bear it all. And He does. Only Jesus can make all the bad things come untrue. And He will. You've got to remember that. It's not all on you and me. And we can't fix it. But we know the one who can and will. If we can keep that in our minds, and we can remember that, that gives us courage and confidence to step in and go, I can serve those in my path, in my life that God's put before me. He's the one who gives us strength to do and to act and to live and to reach out and to sacrifice for others. Sometimes I think we, I'm also, I'm, I struggle, and if you're like me, you struggle to really step out and give sacrificially and help and lay down your life for others because you're really just, you're really concerned about yourself. <laughs> Can I just, like, I'm 43, I've got four kids, i got a mortgage, i got parents that I look to and, and in-laws and, and I've got this con- I've got y'all and I can really spend a lot of time like how is Grant going to get through the day I mean that's a really easy thing to do and I know y'all are all thinking that too how's Grant going to get through the day that's what y'all are thinking about you're thinking about me no you're not you're thinking about how am I going to get through the day how am I going to be enough for all these people how am I going to have enough how am I going to do enough how about me what about me what about me how am I going to do it and then there's no room to think about <laughs> The other people, the people outside of our immediate family, the people outside that, that sphere, like the, just the, the people that, are just, that we see on the fringe of our life. There's no room in our minds and our hearts for them. But how do, we, how do we take care of that? It's again coming back to the gospel. Hear this from Timothy Keller. He, 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 wrote, he, he wrote this great book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He says, you see, the verdict is in for you and me. For Christians. The verdict is in. And now I perform on the basis of the verdict. Because he loves me and he accepts me, I do not have to do things just to build up my resume. I do not have to do things to make me look good. I can do things for the joy of doing them. I can help people to help people. Not so I can feel better about myself. Not so I can fill up the emptiness. When we are confident, when you are confident that you're secure, that God has you, then your heart, your mind is freed up to care about others that God has put in your life. Particularly the poor, the widow, the orphan. You see, it's not about work salvation. It's about resting more in this great truth that we're saved by grace through faith 
And nothing can undo it, and He has us, and that we, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're completely secure. God has done all the work of salvation for you and me. He, is the, he rules over all. He intercedes for all of you. He has you, and He loves you, and He provides for you, and He works for you. And when we, that gets deep into our heart, into our bones, then James is saying, that has to change the way you live. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. It's got to. And so he's kind of, this is a, is this kind of, is this hellfire brimstone preaching or, or passage? No, it's a, is it kind of rattling the bars a little bit and grabbing the face mask? I, maybe a little bit. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. I'm not saying work harder. I'm saying trust that Jesus has done the work for you. And let's lay down His life for you. And you are secure. You're okay. He will provide. He will take care and be freed up to lay down your life for others. What does it say in Matthew 25? The words of Jesus. We, we looked at John 13. He talks about, look, as I've washed your feet, do likewise. This is, I came to serve, not to be served. Follow my example. But he also says in Matthew 25, talking about the, when he comes again, he says, The king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And how does he know they have a, a saving, a true faith? He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when he... And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. This is not contradictory. This is not works righteousness versus salvation by grace through faith. This is... Are you being transformed in the image of Christ? Do you really know and believe that He has done the work of salvation? That he provides for you not only your material needs, but your spiritual needs. You are secure in Him. And has that transformed you? And is it transforming you? It's not all, all of a sudden. And when we prayed our prayer of confession, as I speak to you now, I'm not looking at people that I... look. I, I'm looking around the room now and, and thinking, seeing names and faces and I have seen you love this way. Can I, I'm going to encourage you. I've seen you show hospitality. I've seen you love sacrificially. I've heard stories of you sharing the gospel, of buying meals. Of, I'm, I, I see it. So don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I want to encourage you in that. This isn't, hey, y'all aren't doing this a lick. I'm saying if you're in Christ, you're already doing it. You can't not do it if Christ is at work in you. He will bring this fruit to bear more and more. He has, and we're called to just evaluate. If, if, you, if you're not sure, if you're, I may, maybe I'm just, I know the right things and say the right things, that's it. It's a time to take pause and, and to think. But I want to encourage you. I, I know 
I see fruit of the Spirit. I have seen it in this room. But we're always being called to, to come further, closer to Christ, further in, deeper in, and to know Him more and to be transformed to Him more and more. This is a quote from, it's, it's um, there in your bulletin. This is from um, Reverend Motier. He says, The life of faith is more than a private, long past transaction with the heart of God. What he means by it, it's more than just making a decision, walking an aisle. It's more than a private, long past transaction with the heart of God. It is the life of active consecration seen in the obedience which holds nothing back from God and the concern which holds nothing back from human need. A living faith yields love for the living. How are your vitals? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that um, the life that is truly life, you have modeled, you've you've made it possible, you not only tell us what to do and give us your law, but you provide the means by which we can do it. You help us by your spirit more and more live, live this out. We ask that you would do that. Give us a heart for you. A heart that, uh, a mind that realizes that we are completely secure and okay and that frees us up from thinking about ourselves, that we are humbled by your gospel and therefore become servants of those in our church and those outside our church, those with spiritual needs, those with physical needs, that you would make us a, a people that love sacrificially as you love. Um, we need your help. I thank you for the ways you're doing that. I thank you for the ways that you called some of us to, to go rock babies um, at, at the hospital. To, to, you called, called some of us to adopt children that without a home. You've called some of us who've, to, to visit and minister to, pe- to, to people in prison. Lord, I pray that I thank you for the fruit of this, that's just present in this room where you are transforming our lives and making us aware, giving us eyes to see, but also the courage to step into the fray, the courage to, to, to give up part of our lives for the life of others and, and to trust that we will still be secure because you have us. Lord, you're doing that. Do that more and more and more in our midst. Make our church, Faith Presbyterian Church, a blessing to, our, to individuals in need and to our community as a whole. We thank you that you work this through your children, those with genuine living faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.